0: Hi, I'm James, and this is James Explores The New Mutants, an issue-by-issue exploration of Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants. Welcome to episode number 53, entitled Another After-School Special, in which we'll be examining issue number 45. Please stay tuned. So before we dive into the issue, let's talk about a creative team. It has not really changed at all. We've got Chris Claremont. Uh, Jackson Geist pencils uh, Kyler Baker he's doing the inks uh, Orzecheski and his wife are both doing uh, the lettering we've got Glynis Oliver back on colors Nasenti and Shooter are both the editing team for this issue um, and the other really cool thing about this issue we've got uh, the 25th Marvel's 25th anniversary uh, was this month and are it, it, this year that uh, this 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 issue came out? This was 1986, and in November of that month, they did special com- covers of all their of all their comics to commemorate the 25th anniversary. And it's this uh, profile picture um, for each each cover uh, is, is ties back to um, the comic. Obviously, that that it's on. So the New Mutants had a profile picture of Ileana's, uh of Iliana, and uh, the border has um, all of Marvel's heroes kind of around the edge of it. And the cover, the the, the Iliana's portrait is done by Barry Windsor Smith. And if you're a Barry Windsor Smith fan, this is it's a really beautiful cover. Uh, it's it's definitely worth. Uh, taking a look at it just for the cover alone, it's it's a beautiful cover, um, and uh, I really 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 like these 25th anniversary covers that that uh, Marvel did to to commemorate that this anniversary. So it's it's really just really really beautiful artwork, uh, really really worth taking a look at. So yeah, that's that's the big thing on as far as the cover goes. Um, this issue. Like I said, the title of this episode is another after-school special. Uh, it it's going to deal with some heavy heavy material, and it's it's going to be a one it's a one-shot issue, and uh, I think for my money, it's it's probably one of the best uh, best uh, one-shots of the New Mutants uh, run under Claremont is well thought out well constructed and uh really in a large way lays out the mission statement for the comic and and really for uh the x-men and what 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 this concept of mutants and living among humans uh humanity you know equally and in harmony what that's about and uh you really get to see it driven home here. So yeah. Let's not hesitate. Let's dive into. Uh, episode number 45. Issue. Or sorry. Issue number 45. Uh, yeah. So this issue. Really focuses on. On. Uh, the New Mutants. Stepping out. This isn't. Necessarily. Focusing on the fact. That they're even mutants. For the most part. There's. Really no Super. Power usage here there's not a lot of uh we're here to be heroes to save the day this is uh kids being kids and and them letting their guard down and just really enjoying themselves so uh and w- what i'm talking about is uh the numians. the students have this chance to go to t- attend a dance in salem center uh that the high school is th- throwing um the, the principal of the school has invo- uh, knows Magneto, uh, doesn't know him as Magneto, but uh, knows him as he, the role that he's playing, which is Xavier's brother, his long-lost brother, who's now running the school. And she has invited the students and Magneto to, to attend their dance. And the New Mutants, they're overjoyed with this, obviously, so they can't hardly wait. Um, and they teleport to the dance via limbo outside you know and, and they're still in their new mutant uniforms and they don't change until they have arrived in the parking lot outside of the dance and so I don't know if it's unstable molecules their costumes just turn into the clothes that they're wearing to the dance or whatever but that's it kind of appears as that's the case um small detail but Kind of interesting, because we've seen time and time again where they're having to change, physically change the clothes they're wearing, and this time it appears they don't have to do that. Uh, So what happens? They head into the dance, and some of them are extremely successful. Roberto, he's dancing immediately. Ileana's dancing pretty much immediately. Uh, Kitty's dancing right away as well. Seaman and Amara, they're walking around, and they're being mocked by sam in particular is being mocked by the students from the high school uh saying things like you know they're dweebs um they're they're from the asylum for gifted youngsters uh they're so impressed um they're wearing awful clothes and another student says something about guthrie stepping down amongst the commoners And Amara does not enjoy hearing any of this. She thinks that these insults should be answered in blood. But Guthrie has a different... Sam Guthrie, one of the co-leaders, has a different uh, view of this. And he tells Amara that that what they're saying is just words. And they've heard a lot worse. Um... And he points out, too, that he's kind of gotten the last, you know, he's dating their idol. You know, somebody, uh, Lila Cheney, you know, everybody, you know, thinks she's amazing. And if any of them knew that, you know, they'd, they'd just be, you know, just kill him. So, you know, he's there to have fun. And he asks Amar to dance. Uh, doesn't really work out. We see later that Kitty, who had been dancing with a guy on the dance floor is now standing with her arms crossed. And she's pretty upset. Uh, She's been abandoned. And that apparently the guy that she was dancing with was really just dancing with her to get close to her friend, Ileana. And all the guys are kind of swooning over in Ileana. Uh, So that's kind of happening. Roberto's having a lot of success. He's kind of ushering this girl off the dance floor. They want to go have some place private. Probably going to make out. uh, And... Um, that panel we've got a lot going on. We've got Warlock asking about Doug and his relationship with Kitty. Um, Doug kind of, you know, it's it's interesting. I'm just gonna read this because, you know, Doug uh, Warlock he he sees that Kitty's having a tough time, and you know she's not looking too happy. And Doug's response is, so would I, Warlock, if I were in her shoes. And then Warlock's looking at the, you know, Roberto da Costa and how he's kind of moving along with these, this woman. And, you know, Doug's response is whatever, you know, what comes naturally, of course, you know, is what he's doing. He's, He's, you know, making a move on a woman. And... In this same panel, across the panel from where Doug is standing, we see Kitty, and she her thoughts are that she's, you know, thinking to herself, does everybody have a partner but me? And so we have two... If you read in between the lines here, we, we have this somewhat very suggestive line where uh, <clears throat> when Warlock asks Doug what's wrong with Kitty... You know, why is she upset? And his response is, so would I, Warlock, if I were in her shoes. Being upset that guys aren't dancing with him. Um, And does everybody have a partner? Well, Doug is with Warlock. And we have this interesting situation with Doug and Warlock where uh, subtextually, somewhat of a, you know, subtextually suggesting that Doug might be gay. Uh in terms of he gets inside of Warlock and wears him like a suit of armor. Uh Doug also now talking about being upset if he were in kitty shoes. Yes, you could talk look at that as like, yeah, if I was being rejected or not, women weren't interested in me, I'd feel bad. But like Doug used to have this thing for kitty that really doesn't exist anymore. Like, that that was a potential romance avenue for the two of them that never developed, and now is almost like an afterthought. Doug's, so it's potentially, we might be looking at some subtext here that's pointing to uh, Doug's uh, homosexual, being potentially homosexual. Um, Don't know if that's intended or not, but it certainly could be read as such. Um, Anyways doug and and doug's trying to keep warlock from you know looking like an alien he's telling him you know you need to stay in human form because warlock's just curious he wants to know more he's trying to understand what it means to be human in a lot of ways and and he does that and by watching his friends and so he's you know trying to keep an eye on everybody and uh Doug corrects that and, you know, because Warlock's, you know, morphing and, like, trying to stretch and follow Roberto. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, Doug reminds him, hey, you need to stay in human form, you know. Was like, you know, you can't be morphing and changing. People are going to realize something's up. And uh, before they get into this conversation too deeply, uh danny's approached by right, some jock like guy and uh doug realizes there's trouble and he's trying to get her to dance and have a good time with him she says she's not you know not interested and he's like i you know won't take no for an answer here and warlock uh intervenes he morphs into this big brute of a guy and he basically threatens to pound him and uh Danny's troubles are relieved uh, without her having to do anything, uh, and Warlock attempts to ask her to dance. Um, I'm just going to read what he what he says to her. Query: Will she, she friend Danny Moonstar join and instruct self in motion relationships to variable environmental harmoni- 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 harmonics? A dance, a dance, and. uh, she's not gonna she's tired her head hurts she's just not interested she doesn't want to be there. she leaves um and we see here danny uh or magneto talking with uh mrs hogworth the 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 school's the high school's principal uh and she heads out into the parking lot you know thinking about how and her head hurts, the music's so loud, how, you know, they're all going to be deaf before they're deaf, before they're 20. She doesn't like crowds. It's from growing up alone in a solitary in nature. Uh, she just didn't like the vibe in the room. Uh, just things didn't seem right. And, you know, she starts walking home, and eventually she'll call Bright Wind and... Uh, he will come and they'll fly off together. So as I said, Danny summons Brightwind, and she's watching Brightwind fly down to to the ground. She she's watching his approach, and she's thinking to herself, how lucky she is. How you know what an amazing thing you know that that she gets to have Brightwind as a horse. Like it's 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 a, something she just takes so much joy and pride in that. You know, just this amazing gift to her. Um and we're seeing this this interesting like she's come through this one, she's when she first arrived at the mansion, she didn't even know she wanted to trust white men, like Xavier in particular, right? Like and she wasn't certain about her powers, she didn't know how to utilize them, so she wasn't very confident or comfortable with that. And she Found Brightwind and became this Valkyrie and she didn't know where she belonged in terms of as a mutant, a Native American woman, or a Valkyrie, and how did that all interrelate? Really? And she seems to have found something that she can cherish and that she accepts and that she finds value in and she's confident about and she in a lot of ways has come to accept and love herself. And she's thinking about that in this panel, really. That's what this panel conveys to me. And, you know, while she doesn't always like that she has to be a Valkyrie, and, and that's the price of having uh, Brightwind, she, she's accepted that, too. She's come to terms with that. And she figures if she, if her people and the history of her people um, is something that can be overcome, then, or, you know, has occurred, then... She herself, being a Native American, should be used to these hopeless, uh, windless causes, right? And, uh, and therefore she can accept being a Valkyrie. And just as she's about to climb up on, on top, onto the back of her, her horse, Brightwind, um, she notices a bumper sticker, uh, in the parking lot. And, Uh, It's an advertisement for X-Factor. I'm just going to read what it says. X-Factor, we take care of mutants the old-fashioned way, permanently. And Danny, she's thinking to herself after she sees this, and uh, I'm just going to read what she's thinking. Cute. I saw bumper stickers like that in Colorado. Only instead of mutants, they said red skin. Some things, some attitudes never change. And this is all going to have relevance. Um... And this isn't the first time in the New Mutants issue that we've seen a reference back to um, these mutant hunters and, and X Factor. Uh, you know, last issue we had, you know, X Factor came up when, uh, or two issues ago, sorry, X Factor came up when um, Empath was walking around campus, and uh, at. And here it is again and, and it's this this fear and this this like somewhat group of mutants which most of society society doesn't realize that X Factory is actually the original X Men. Uh, but they're they're supposedly mutant hunters and they will take care of your mutant problem. They're like the Ghostbusters. And uh that's what people know and that's what's put out there, presented. Um uh, into the environment and um they're the whole point of being x-factor is to be in a position to help fellow mutants that's what x-factor's goal is but what it is also doing at the same time is fanning the flames of fear and resentment of everyday normal people of mutants uh towards mutants and uh we're seeing that beginning to spill over in these X-Books, whether it's in New Mutants or Uncanny X-Men, the spillover, the effect that X-Factor's having on the Marvel Universe, at least in this section of the Marvel Universe. So we're seeing that play out here. Um, and, and this isn't the first time, and I'm just going to bring this up really quick, this isn't the first time that Xavier has or, sorry, the Xavier, the Claremont, <laughs> the Claremont has, uh, begin to to pull out the strings of kind of defining what the mutant metaphor is. Uh, in Uncanny X-Men 196, uh, Kitty confronts a, I think another student, somebody that she knew, um, calling him the N-word when he had been calling her or people muties. And this is all in an effort to show him that labels are can be hurtful. And so how is the N-word any different than the word mutie? And that's what is being conveyed in that scene. And then we have uh, in Uncanny X-Men, to ten, kitty once again is confront confronts a gentleman about a uh, violence towards mutants and you know the guy's talking about this mutant scared his kids well she said you know she t- his she retorts that he's frightened her does that mean that he gets she can beat him you know with an inch of his life is that justice is that fair and uh it becomes heated, and she's. But the the point is, she is standing up all over the place. She is this mouthpiece that is talk. She's talking. She's she's Chris Claremont's voice in these issues, and she's conveying, you know, prejudice and racism and bigotry. They don't have a place in society, and and that's not acceptable. And to to be empathetic and. To look at the world in a larger view than just these narrow, narrow places that's, that, that that often d- derive from fear, um, and that's going to become a larger issue as this comic come go carries forward. We're going to see more and more why why I'm bringing up these issues. So as Danny's flying away, this person we've never seen before, he notices her. He's he's shocked, you know, seeing a girl flying a On on this horse that's flying, he can't believe his eyes, obviously. And he sculpts initially uh, these sculptures of light. Ones of a winged horse with the girl riding it. And then he sculpts her face. And he just can't, you know, he, he doesn't think that the light sculptures can do her justice. But he's pieced together that she is one of the students from the Xavier School. And he's starting to think, maybe she's like me. Um, <clears throat> you know, you know, he she wants to try to meet her, and what we're kind of beginning to figure out is that this kid, this is he's a mutant, um, and all of a sudden these shadowy figures ask, you know, they saw say they saw light. Uh, they ask if it's Danny, Danielle, uh, Danielle, uh Moonstar. That you know, trying to figure out if it's Danny. Um, and he comes out of the shadow, and they ask him what he's been doing, and he tells him nothing, um, and we begin to find out more of a story from his pre- principal, you know, uh, he's new here. He's a new kid in a new school in a new town. He's trying to make friends, and uh, he's pretty lonely. He's outside all by himself. Well, they, they suggest he should go back in and enjoy the, the party. Maybe that will make some friends there, and... Just then, Kitty's, uh comes out. She's standing outside, and uh, Magneto, who goes by Michael, because uh, he's Michael Xavier, that's his, his alias. He's supposed to be Xavier's brother running his uh, school. And Magneto asks Kitty, you know, if she's enjoying herself. You know, and she says, yeah, whatever. Kind of sarcastically, I'm having a wonderful time. Wouldn't miss it for the world, and she wants to leave. Um, and Magneto and Mrs. Hogworth suggest that Danny, you know, you know, uh, take take Larry back into the party. You know, dance with him. And she grabs him his arm, his arm, kind of poutily, and stomps inside, pulling, it, dragging him behind her. Uh, and he's like, I don't want to be a bother. And she said, Don't worry about it. And they introduce each other, uh, themselves to each other. And Magneto and Mrs. Hogworth, they head out, and you know Xavier, or sorry, Magneto, Michael, Magneto, he's in awe. He really is shocked by the way she so deftly handles these children. You know, like she she does such a great job with him, and he and that's all he really wants to do. He he wants to understand how he can help the New Mutants the best he possibly can. He's really been struggling with it. You know, he just doesn't feel like they trust him. He doesn't feel like he's earned their <clears throat> respect or anything. He feels like he's blind and lost. Uh, and some, you know, she tells him, you know, it's it's some of it's just experience. Some of it's just she gets it just you know it comes to her naturally Um, and she believes that you know from the problems that develop she's learned more from that than she ever has from any of the successes Um, and she talks about Kitty and her possible irritation with the fact that all the boys are so attracted to her uh, friend Ileana um, and it just must make her crazy Um, but she's hoping that You know, it'll be, you know, Larry's gain. It'll help Larry because Danya, uh, Kitty is, you know, feels lonely and left out and isolated and unrec, unnoticed, and so hopefully, you know, they can help each other and Magneto. just doesn't have a lot of faith that he's ever going to really understand these kids and she just tells him be patient time you know practice it'll it'll figure out if you just keep working at it and you know it's just she tells him it's just this really nice exchange because she envies him Like, he envies her because she's so great at working with these kids. She just seems to get it. and It just works so well. She envies him because he only has a handful of students. He can focus so much time and attention on them. And he's like, you know, no matter how much time I pay them, it doesn't ever seem to be enough. And he's like, tells her that there's always the fear that the moment you turn away, it's the one that they'll need you most, right, and so Magneto's struggle is real, like, he just is functioning from this place of fear, he's very afraid of these kids, like, desperately, no more than, you know, probably even more than Xavier, Xavier Like yeah, he wants to help people, but it's all in this overarching goal that if we figure out how to control our powers, if we can only figure out how to be the best versions of ourselves, we'll be accepted by society. Like that's Xavier's goal for humans and mutants to live side by side. Magneto's goal is not that. Magneto's goal is more less militant than it was for sure. It used to be Homo superior, you know, Homo superiors and. Mutants will rule the world. You've done us wrong, and I'm going to show you, you know, your place in society. That's not where he's at anymore. What what drives Magneto is to help these kids, to make the world safe for these kids, to put these kids in a position where they're not constantly at odds with other people, where they're not constantly having to fight for their own survival. He wants the best for these kids. That's it. And he'll do whatever he has to do to achieve that goal. And so, I don't know that that directly means that he has to operate from a place from fear, but that's where he's functioning from. And that makes sense to me. It seems to make sense that he's afraid that if he doesn't do things right, one, that he can't gain their trust because he was a villain for so long. But two, that he will fail them. And if he fails them, Then their situations might be horrible They might be in a world that fears and hates them They might not control their powers They might be harmed by others They might have to fight for their own survival constantly Just as he has had to do That's what drives uh, Magneto forward And so in a lot of ways Magneto cares so much about these kids Even more than Xavier ever did um That would be my argument, so Larry and Kitty they head inside, and on their way inside in into the dance, they pass Roberto and he's got his he's arms are wrapped around this girl's hands are groping her butt, and she's wrapped his arm, her arms around his neck and they're they're making out and Kitty's reaction is you know she says you know pretty you know you know accusatory uh in you know, I would guess, is the tone, you know, just gross. The reaction is just over the top. And she comments that Roberto has the style of a dumpster and the morals to match. But she also is thinking at the same time she wishes she was doing that. Um, you know, she's somewhat jealous and and, you know, probably a little angry. Her night's not turned out at all the way she'd hoped. And, of course... Larry who's trying to be everything that Kitty wants him to be tells her, you know, reassures her, Hey, I wouldn't pull anything like that. And she's thinking to herself and she's kinda of disgusted, you know. Um just her luck. Tells him not to worry about it. She wasn't talking about him, and he apologizes to her and she says, Forget it and he's gonna go get some punch. He <laughs> it's not going well. At this point it's not going well for Larry. And he's thinking he's a jerk. He's put his foot in his mouth. Um, you know, how's he going to continue talking to her and being around her without making things worse? You know, he's so embarrassed. You know, he just wishes he was dead at this point. Um, really embarrassed. And then he goes to the punch bowl. And she's thinking, you know, he's a really nice guy. Well, he when he gets to the punch bowl... He sees these popular kids from the school, and they're punch—they're—they're they're spiking the punch, um, <clears throat> but he's really preoccupied, you know, with everything that's going on. He's really, really likes Kitty a lot, uh, and he—he's got a. You know he doesn't want to blow it. You know he's he's nervous. He's so nervous. He doesn't want to screw this up. And like I said, the the popular kids they're they're punch, spiking the punch and telling anti mutant jokes. Um, I don't even know. It's it's such a dumb joke. But uh, the guy, one guy says. I who I think is Peter. Uh he he's named at that back of the book and there's only one guy that seems like he's capable of being this obnoxious in the back of the story. Uh so I think it hits Peter. And he says, How many mutants does it take to screw in a light bulb? And they're like, Oh, that's an old joke. and then one of the girls responds, Muties don't need light bulbs, fool. They glow in the dark So they're just being absolute jerk bags and uh Like I said, they're spiking the punch And they notice Larry Who's come to, like I said, get some punch For himself and Kitty And this Peter He turns around and he notices Larry And he's like uh, Telling, he's like Calls him rat-faced, little dweeb Geeky dweeb And, uh, you know, says Looking that way, you've gotta be a mutie And he is Horrified, Because one thing that we know, and, you know, we the reader knows, is that, that Larry is a mutant. And he says, you know, he denies it. He ve- vehemently denies it. He tells him not to say that, don't call me that, uh, take it back, it isn't true. You know, he's just horrified by this. He finally does go back to Kitty. And she asks him, what's the matter? And he says nothing. Those guys are picking, you know, mouthing off. Um, And he's like, I think they spiked the punch. (laughs) Um, Well, meanwhile, these popular kids are talking about playing a prank. Peter suggests that they leave a note telling Larry uh, that they've contacted X-Factor, who they call the professional mutant hunters. So... Once again, X-Factor comes up in the story, and we're seeing that X-Factor is not being viewed by the general public, or mutant kind for that matter, is a friendly, helpful solution to, you know, as an agency that's out helping mutants. Um, they're, They're there to get rid of mutants, that's what everybody sees them as, they see them if you're a mutant you see them as a threat and if you're a human you see them as an ally somebody who's making the world safe and clean for your species Um, and most of the the group, two of the girls are not at all excited about this (coughs) but Peter isn't worried about it, he thinks, you know, nothing bad's gonna happen and they'll get a Kick out of it. They'll get a laugh and, uh, at at Larry's expense. So later that night, everybody's getting ready to leave, and Kitty's pretty plastered. Um, and Larry, he uh, he's talking with Kitty. She's inviting him to go to uh, Larry, uh, go to Harry's hideaway um, for the you know to kind of, as the party's winding down uh, to enjoy themselves and and. You know, he's shocked, and she's, you know, drunk, kind of drunk. You know, she's had a couple, like, four or five glasses of punch, and uh, is just really having a good time, and really loosened up around Larry. And one thing she does know is she likes Larry a lot, and he likes her just as much, it seems. And he's, you know, going to get his coat, and... On the chair that his coat was at, he finds something. Um, his his evening's interrupted by something that horrifies him, right? He goes from thinking about whether this girl likes him or not, um, where they're going to go from there, and trying to, like, just calm himself down and be in the moment and not get too, like, caught up in trying to figure out what's coming because, you know, that's easy to do when you're dealing with the beginnings of a new relationship or you Find a girl you're attracted to, um, and sure enough, it's that note from his classmates. Threaten, you know, they, th- they and on it, it's this flyer for X Factor. You know, it's kind of like an ad advertisement flyer you might find on a car, um, you know, underneath your window sh- with shield wiper or something like that, or something that maybe you know would hang on the door or send in the mail. And on it, they've written, "We know who you are." We know what you do, and we're gonna tell X Factor, Mewdy, and the new are getting ready to leave, and they ask if he's ready, and he, you know, he walks over them, but he's, you know, looking around, kind of, his eyes look aren't focused on Kitty, and she asks him if he's okay. Says he's fine, you know, isn't. Some aren't they allowed to have nerves on a on on a first date? And Kitty thinks that that's really sweet. And she t- and she reassures him in that regards, Chum, you're not alone. You know, it's this beautiful moment for Kitty's character. She is really coming out of her shell in terms of, like, really putting herself out there and being vulnerable, uh, and it's. It's interesting with her current story arcs in other comics how confident and certain she is with who she is, and I think Claremont's done a really well, really a great job with her character. Like I think development-wise, like the more confident and controlled and uh, effective she becomes as a team member of on the X Men, and the more she finds her place there, and the more certain with who she is personally, the more confident she is at. I think this makes sense With how she's engaging with Larry here I find it to be a believable character Trait For Kitty, something that makes a lot of sense Um, so Uh, yeah, just There's this wonderful Character growth in Kitty And it's gonna be I don't wanna say marred But definitely there's going to be a Darkness that that comes towards the end of this issue if you haven't uh if you haven't read it before uh <clears throat> you might be surprised by that uh for most of my listeners i'm sure you've read it so you've you're, you're aware but it's it's kind of a bittersweet moment knowing what's coming to see this this moment for kitty because i do think it's like i said it's a big moment it's a good character growth It really shows you how far her character's come in a very short amount of time much later Harry's Hideaway. Everyone's kind of talking about Larry and Kitty. Um, Warlock is talking to Doug about Doug's and Kitty's, at one point they had a really strong emotional bond. And Warlock's curious about that. And Doug tells him that they're still friends, but that's as far as it goes. So that's kind of the end of that any chance that Doug and Kitty were ever going to have a relationship at least coming up or that Claremont is building towards that that's kind of been put to an end um, in terms of uh, what's happening here Um, now Sam he he notices that they've been dancing up a storm you know the two of them Larry and Kitty uh and he s- asks the girls at the table Rain and uh for sure Iliana um their opinions about that and Ileana shoots back like tells him no way there's no way that you know her friend her roommate um would be interested in Larry she's got better taste than that and Rain her response is you know, tells her not to be mean. He's, he's a perfect gentleman. Um, he's the perfect beau for any girl, according to Rain. And Amara, her reaction, in my opinion, I like Ileana's reaction. I think that's fit. so fitting. Like, But I think Amara's is, is pretty telling as well. I'm just going to read what she says. But Kitty is not simply any girl, Rain, nor are you nor Iliana, nor I. Our power sets us apart. How would he react when he learned that I can channel the heat of the Earth's molten core through my body, to heat a meal, or create a volcano, or that Kitty herself can walk through walls. And Sam jestingly says, you know, he's so, you know, enamored with her, he's on Cloud Nine that he probably wouldn't even notice if she did or care. You know, which is very much kind of deflates this building tension. Like these ladies are all, all one. I think their personalities are present. You know, Rain is this very nice, kind of sheepish, quiet, kind girl. She she has very a very strong sense of what is right and wrong, and she always wants to be right. Iliana. She is very wrapped up in her appearances. And I think a lot of that is because she's always playing a role, right? She's always trying to be something for somebody. Um, And I don't fully think that Ileana knows necessarily who she is. And what she knows about herself, I don't think she likes. Amara's... We've seen that and that's pretty consistent for Eliana, sorry. Now Amara's hers is the most interesting in my opinion, only because and I wish Claremont would have pulled this strand these strands further and developed this more because this in my mind, her view of this situation aligns more closely to what Xavier was ex- or Xavier Magneto was expounding prior to joining the New Mutants, before he had a crisis of conscience, before he became more of a gray, more humanized uh, vil- uh, villain, and eventually sl- became a, a hero. Amaro's um, tone, what she's talking about, what she's discussing, that their power sets set them apart, it's almost as though she, in, in, her, in her facial, her her. The way she's holding her head Her nose is turned up a little bit It's very much as though The order of things She's speaking to an order of things She's speaking, in my mind The way I read this She's talking about Mutants being superior Than regular humans Um Whether that's intended or not That's somewhere, I think that 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 page, that panel can be taken Now we fo- Claremont the issue focuses now at this point on Larry and, and Kitty and they're and they're sitting, they've stopped dancing and, and Kitty wants to sit with her friends and, and Larry is just trying to figure he's you know, he's just absolutely awestruck. She he thinks she's beautiful, she really likes him, you know. He's just so overjoyed, and he's trying to decide what he should do next. He's not sure if he could just hold her close to him. He could kiss her. He thinks that's a good idea, but no, it's not. He'll do it wrong. He's clumsy. Too many people They'll laugh. Um, He should wait for a better moment. How we won't know when that moment comes. And then he starts thinking about, you know, maybe he should make her a light sculpture. Use his powers, his abilities. She might really like that or be scared of him. You know, and he starts thinking about that flyer, the that, that from uh, X-Factor flyer that was planted on his coat. Um and if they found out the truth, what would you know, do they know that he's immune? You know, who put it there? Would they like him if they found out? Would she like him? Would Kitty like him if he if she found out he was immune or would does she hate muties? Um and so they sit down with Kitty and her friends. And Kitty asks him, you know, you know, he's deep in thought. And she's like, you know, are you still there? And he tells her, nope, just been beamed up and warped away. And he's thinking, you know, should I trust her to tell her what's going on? And she asks pretty directly. She's like, you know, tells him pretty, very directly. If, if he's got a problem, she's willing to talk she she'll listen she'd be happy to do that and kitty or and iliana she uh, pipes in of course giving her two cents which is very common it's very sarcastic um chiding commentary um and i'm just going to read what she says that's the spirit florence f- pride and gale or is it kitty freud and this banter you know isn't out of place, it's pretty common, pretty pretty standard for Ileana, and Kitty tells her to put a stock, sock in it, and this is where Larry decides, you know, he's going to try to fit, he, he wants to fit in, and he's he's going to go for the gusto, he's going to tell the jokes he heard his his classmates telling, and he asks them first, how many mutants does it take to screw in a light bulb, and he notices no one's laughing. And he thinks maybe he told it wrong. So what should he do? He should tell another. And he said it starts out. A mutant walked into a bar, and that's when they finally, you know, their their faces are unhappy. They're they're not happy with them. And Sam says, "Speaking of walking, it's past time. We're out of here. You know we you know we're out of here, basically." And you know, Larry knows that they're mad that he's you know he's trying to figure out what he's done and iliana gets up and kitty gets up and he you know he's trying to figure out why he told those jokes he just wanted to impress him he just wanted to belong and he and he tries to get kitty to wait he wants to call her and she tells him she thought he was a nice kid she was mistaken and she tells him goodbye and he's left sitting alone really moping and just kind of almost in a fetal position. He's sitting in a chair, but he's, he's curled down onto his knees, and he's just, you know, distraught, really sad and depressed. You know, he thinks it's over, and he shouldn't have opened his big mouth. He's ruined everything, and, and Rain's the only one who's looking back, and she she thinks she sees something, or at least that's... The image, and I know the story, and maybe I'm filling in blanks. This image has nothing. It's just a picture of Rain looking back, and uh, looking back at, at Harry and or at Larry, and and it's it's as though she's looking for something, like she's expecting to see something. That's that's the sense I get from this image. Um, so the issue picks up, and it's Larry's at home. And it's later that night, much later that night. And he comes in the house. There's no one there. He's there all by himself. His parents, they're apparently out of town. And they've told him, you know, apparently they're out of town on business. Um, <clears throat> and so he's there alone. He's he's a, apparently a single kid. He, he's got n- no other family besides his parents, or at least in this town. So he's really alone. He's really isolated. Um, and... His parents don't want him to bother them unless it's a really an emergency, and he's thinking about calling him because he's really depressed, he's really upset, he's really sad, he's really hurting, and he doesn't think that that's a good enough reason maybe to call his parents to talk to him, that they wouldn't think it's an emergency, and so he decides not to reach out to him. So, you know, not only is he alone, and it's not that his parents are abusive necessarily, but... Apparently he doesn't have a really close, tight bond with them. They're not very—they're distant in in, more than just in in being away from him, but not being very warm. And uh, their relationship isn't super close. I would surmise based off that he thinks about dealing with his problems by drinking. Um, He thinks maybe it'd make him feel better. He's never tried it before. He's like let's try He pours just this big glass of Maybe gin I don't know Um, And he takes a drink And he spits it out almost immediately He thinks it tastes horrible And he thinks to himself As he's heading up to his room That he's such a loser He's such a geek Such a pathetic geek That he's Can't even get drunk And he just wants to go to sleep But He's just not tired. He's just not, he's he's exhausted, but he's just not able to sleep. And so he heads into his room, and he sees, and there's this beautiful sculpture of what looks to be like a space shuttle lasting off. And he sits down, and he's sculpting uh, Kitty, uh, this light sculpture of Kitty. And he's thinking maybe he should call her, but he thinks it's too late. He's done so much damage to that relationship. How could she ever like him? And his he just can't focus. He can't stay, you know, he's just unable to focus and concentrate. And this image of Kitty is just bursts, you know, just kind of crumbles and falls away. Um He's thinking he just needs to relax, but he, he doesn't know how to. You know, he's got this threat of X-Factor exa- uh, there after him. You know, he feels like a criminal. You know, and, he, and he's not sure what he could do. You know, he, he thinks, what would X-Factor do? You know, they'll take away his powers. But without his powers, he'd, he'd rather be dead. And while he's thinking all of this stuff, Rain has arrived, she's in her transitional form, the human wolf form that she's able to, uh, create, and, um, she's peering through his window, so she sees everything, and she's like, I was right, you know, that he, he's immune, he's just like them, like us, like the new mutants, right, and so she's so ecstatic, she jumps down from the tree, she's gonna go back and tell her friends, they'll be So surprised and and happy because everyone liked Larry for the most part until he told those dumb, horrible jokes. And she's like, you know, she's just overjoyed with the fact that, you know, he, he didn't really mean it because he is one of them. He is a mutant. And so, you know, she leaps off and runs off. And just as she's leaving, the phone rings. And Larry picks it up. And the voice on the other line tells him, We called a mutie. X-Factor's on their way. You're done for. And that's that's the end of... That's the last we see of Larry. Um, the next day, uh, Rain ha- hadn't been able to tell her friends, the, the New Mutants, because they were all asleep by the time she'd gotten down. And they're all up, and they're all down in the kitchen. Amara's making... Uh, breakfast she's made hot cakes um and she's in her molten lava form or magma form right the, and she's got these like <laughs> oven mitts slipped over her feet so she can walk on the ground without burning the floor It's kind of an interesting touch um and you know everybody's just joking around and having a good time and dan and and woof uh rain. Uh, runs downstairs, and she's so excited she's got something to tell everybody. It's wonderful news, you know, she's just so overjoyed. And Xavier interrupts her, and he tells her, you know, one moment, I, but I, you know, I need to tell everyone something. And she, you know, and he lets them know uh, that she had just gotten a call from the principal at Salem Center High School that one of her students, Larry Bowden, has committed suicide. Later in the danger room, most of the team reacts to the news of Larry's death. Doug and Danny are sitting in the control room and Doug asks, you know, why would he do it? And, um, Danny relates her experience of the odd feeling she had at the dance that maybe that was a premonition of, of Larry, Larry's death, coming death, that if she would have stayed, maybe she could have done something about it, um, but she's realized with the Valkyrie powers, too, that she can't save everyone. She can try her best, but it's not always possible. Bobby and Iliana are practicing in the danger room, and Bobby thinks Larry was a coward, that he couldn't face the real world, so he ran. Whereas Iliana, she just sees it as you live and you die. It happens. His problem, his decision, his fate, not theirs. You know, and Warlock, too, is struggling to understand. He he can't understand why somebody would take their life. It's so important. Life clothes, uh, their life is so valuable and something that you're not supposed to, you know, of all things, you're not supposed to destroy. And he just can't understand why somebody would give it up without offering it for the life of someone else. And Amara suggests that maybe he had no one to turn to in times of trouble. You know, what she has learned is that in times of despair, you should never give up. You know, it's not something that you should do. You know, there's so many possibilities, and so to yield to despair, um, that's the worst thing anyone could do, she thinks. You know, if you have friends, if you've got people to reach out to, that's what you need to do, because everything is momentarily, is what she's talking about, and that this will pass, this too shall pass. Um, you know, it's a really good note to end on, because uh, I think everyone's voice comes through really well here. I think Bobby is absolutely sees things that black and white. You're a coward. You're running from something. You you know. It's none of my business. And Ileana, she's that callous, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, It's not her problem. It's not something she needs to deal with. Um, Whereas from where she was at Harris hideaway, I think Amara's is the most interesting take. Um, It's also influenced by her life experiences. She talks about how... um, it would be no big disgrace to take uh, your own life if you're atoning for some transgression or uh, if you're trapped in a hopeless situation. It's like the last defiance, gesture of defiance. But, you know, she talks about how that's changed for her, that she thinks life is so valuable and that, you know, it's the worst thing you can possibly do. Um, I just really like that Claremont takes the time to kind of pull this apart and examine it. Uh, it's, it's neat to see everybody's reaction. They also don't know the story behind it, but they all have an opinion, um, which is kind of a callous and dis- hurtful thing in itself, right? Um, but humans do that quite often. We do that quite often. We judge situations. Um, I certainly judge situations without all the facts. Um, and i just i think it's handled very well here um kitty uh is going to be trying to find out answers she's pretty shook up by by this uh turn of events and so she does she goes to to his home um phases through the door and she enters and you know she just wants answers why would why would larry commit suicide you know and she's looking around she's seeing ways that they're they're similar like only child she's hoping to to find you know what would have led him to do this she wants to know if she played a part in it if it's her fault and she phases into his room and she finds the challenger the hollow this this light sculpture he made and uh, she goes to it and she just thinks it's so beautiful. It's impossible. And she touches it and it cracks and crumbles into dust. Um... And it's like the last thing of Larry and it's gone. And she sees it as her fault. And she, she really is hard on herself here. She, she blames herself. Um... And as she goes downstairs and she sits down in this chair, she finds the flyer of, you know, the, the X-Force flyer and the, with the writing on the back. Um, and he he had made a, a note as well. You know, one, I think I should take a moment here too because there's a couple things going on. We've got this flyer, right, for the X-Factors flyer, right? And it's got the writing on it. Well... This confirms for her that that they're real. She wasn't sure that X Factor was a real thing, but now she has something that proves that. Um, And she notices the writing on the back. Well, on the back, Larry had written kind of a... somewhat of a suicide note, I guess. They're coming for me. And I'm just going to read what he wrote. They're coming for me, coming to get me. Where can I go? What can I do? What's the point if I can't create... Why do they hate me? What have I done? I'm alone. Nothing left. No way out. I'm sorry. You know, and... That, you know, it it kind of really solidifies everything. Um, And Kitty, she realizes at this point, had they known, they would have helped him. They would have done everything they could. Um, but because he wasn't, they didn't know he was a mutant, they didn't reach out to him. Um, you know, there was, he, he was alone. He felt in a large way isolated because he felt like he was different from everybody else. Um, and that's a lonely place to be. And rain has shown up at this point, um, and she tell, confesses that she'd followed him home last night that you know he was so hurt and upset after everybody left and he said such hurtful and cruel things but she knew that he was good that he's you know he had a good heart and he, she so she followed him home and she when she went home she'd meant to tell everybody Everybody was asleep. They were already in bed. And so she figured she'd tell everybody in the morning, but it was too late. And she thinks it's her fault, and Kitty tells her, no, it wasn't your fault. You know, he's scared. He was boxed in. If it's anyone's fault, it's the people who sent this to him. And she shows him the X Factor flyer. And they commiserate over the loss of Larry, that he's something so beautiful. he create these beautiful things, and they're lost forever. And Rain howls. She is so enraged. And, you know, she wants revenge. And so she goes to the mall. She's going to confront. She she picks up the scent um, of the teenagers, uh, who sent this? So she knows, and she stalks them to the mall. She's gonna get revenge. She's gonna make them pay. And uh, those teenagers are there, and they're discussing the what had happened, and they're you know feel some of them feel terrible, but this Peter's like you know, it's not our fault. We didn't do anything wrong. Um, how are they supposed to know that he was a you know freak? Um, and they shoot back, his his friends shoot back that they warned him. And he says, you know, they didn't know him. And even if, you know, even if, you know, the way this Peter guy here heard it, you know, he, his defense is that he was really a mutant. He'd heard anyways that this kid was a mutant anyways. So where's the stinking harm? that kind's better off dead and the rest of his friends tell him that he's sick and rain's ready to just kill him to kill them all you know she's in a transitional form she's under this trench coat and she's got a, a fedora on and danny and sam and kitty confront her you know she wants them to pay for having killed larry And they know how she feels. Especially Danny, you know, she really knows how Rain feels because they're sharing their thoughts. That's how Danny tracked her to here. You know, Danny points out that when you listen to what they're saying, they're already paying for it. They don't know yet, but they, they've, they're they paying for it. They'll continue to pay for it for the rest of their lives. Killing them would put an end to their punishment. It would be a mercy. You know, and Rain, she just wants to take action. She, she doesn't want just to do words. She wants to, to do something. She wants to make them pay. And Kitty says they we, we all do we can't bring Larry back, but perhaps we can ensure he didn't die for nothing. so the next day, Kitty and most of her teammates are attending a memorial service to Larry at Salem Center High School, and Kitty being probably the person who knows larry the best has been asked to to speak uh before the, the assembly um, and what she's come to realize is that in a lot of ways the new mutants are a lot like larry you know they're just as scared as he was um because all they really wanted was to be accepted and to live normal lives just like him Uh, But the only difference is they had each other to lean on, to rely on. Where Larry, he was alone. Um, And she's trying to figure out if she's going to out herself. Does she have the right to out herself and her fellow New Mutants and uh, the X-Men? Even if they give her permission, is it within her right? She doesn't know. She doesn't really have an answer to that and i'm just going to read her speech cuz you know this this issue in a lot of ways is it's the direction the this the, the x men line is going this is the mission statement this is what uh the purpose um of of this of these these books are you know the, this is a, the the driving force behind these books and you know we're seeing I think a really strong uh, utilization by Claremont here. Throughout Claremont's run, we see him deftly handling the mutant me- metaphor. And I think for the most part, he does an, a superb job with without overreaching and without um, being too uh, generic. Um, I think sometimes, especially in recent times, I think, the use of the meta- mutant metaphor is sometimes it's stretched too far. I also think sometimes uh, it's just about a matter of checking a box to say, oh, yeah, we've done, we've, we've confronted those issues as writers for Marvel, uh, as Marvel, and we now have picked, chosen a side. And we clearly were standing alongside of you even though we're not presenting very strong representations of the group that we're trying to speak to um that being said this this is handled i think ex- i think claremont's done a masterful job with this issue it's it's one of my all-time favorites and before i continue to blabber on about this i'm just gonna like i said i'm gonna read kitty's speech some of you know me most of you di- don't i'm here because i guess i knew larry bett bowden best but that isn't saying much i hardly knew him at all if I had, maybe we wouldn't be at this memorial assembly. Who has the, who was he then, that we gather to mourn him? Who am I? A four eyed, flat chested, brat, chick, brain, hebe, stuck up, Xavier snob, freak. Don't like the words. I could use nicer. I've heard worse. Who hasn't? So often, so casual, that maybe we're forgetting the power they have to hurt. Nigger, spick, wop, slop, faggot, mutant. The list is so long and so cruel. They're labels, put-downs, and they hurt. But usually we laugh it off or hit back with words of our own. Or fists. Or we suffer in silence. No big deal. This is the rough edge of reality, right? Why make a fuss? Trouble was when somebody labeled Larry Bowden a mutie, they hit home because he was. His powers created beauty. That's it. He did that. He did with light and color what Mozart did with music, and he wanted nothing more than to be accepted by his peers and possibly even liked. And isn't that? what any of us really want. To have friends, people to care for us, not be alone. If we're lucky, we have someone to turn to. Larry didn't. He thought if people knew him, knew the truth, they'd stop seeing him and see only the label, the brand, his personal scarlet letter. So he hid the truth and lived in terror of being discovered. He even joined in when others put mutants down. What matters, <clears throat> what matter the cost to his soul if it made his life a little better? That's the tragedy, That are, that's our shame. Think what you say, imagine it being said about you. It's easy to make fun, really easy to be cruel. Try sometime, being on the receiving end. If we're to learn anything from Larry's death, it should be this. You want to know who I am? I'm Catherine Pride. That's the only thing that matters. The rest are just labels. You know, and I debated whether I should read that verbatim. um. But I think there's a list of words, I think, that, that are just derogatory s- slurs and... Um, I think they're in place for a specific reason and so I, I chose to read them um, because I, I think it adds weight to what Claremont was ex- trying for um, you know and and like I said earlier in the podcast this is not the first uh, time that we've seen Kitty standing up and uh, taking account and defending mutants and being the voice and Uh, you know taking a stand this isn't you know this is actually probably the most developed her arguments become like over time we're seeing her grow and shift and I think this is well done I I like uh, at the end what Claremont's getting to you know Um, and I think you know ironically enough Uh, I, I think this, this has a place in our society today. You know, um, I think I've talked on this podcast before about political correctness. And if I haven't, um, I'm probably going to today, uh, because that's kind of what we're getting at. Like to hurt somebody for the sake of hurting somebody, what, what does that accomplish? And yes, you know, you, we all have the freedom to say and do whatever we want um and that's fine i've honestly don't have a problem if people want to walk around and be racist they can be racist but i'm also going to label that just like they've chosen to label the people that they're targeting um i'm a big believer in actions depict who i am um my actions should speak volumes and if I want to be presented as a hard worker I better work hard Um, if I want to be presented as a nice person I better be nice if I want to be presented as a good student I better you know work my my tail off to be a good student the actions I I put forth better reflect the person I want to be because if they don't then I need to look at me um, and I like that that's what this comic's talking about. I also like that perception is addressed, I think, in a large degree, right? Like, Larry was alone and isolated and hurting, and nobody knew it. One, it's because they're young and they're so tied up in their own garbage that they couldn't see it, and Rain did. But, I mean, for the most part, no one else did, Before, until it was too late. Um. Appearances, outward appearances. I mean, we, I, especially. I speak for myself. I, I compare myself, my insides, the way I feel on any given moment. I can compare that to somebody's outside appearance and be like, you know, it. It's just interesting, and um, I make decisions based on the outward appearance of people all the time. And I have no idea what their lives really going. What's really going on in their lives? Uh, what I do know is that I a hundred percent agree with the idea of a of, of found family, or whether it's your f- regular family or your found family or your friends, how, whoever. But having people that you can relate to, that you can lean on, that will help you and support you, that you can turn around and help and support, like that is a strong, full, rich life. That's where that's found and you know i I know that there's some knocks on this um for the most part i think this is a fantastic story some of the stuff i read online you know people's complaints are you know that it's a character a one and done character right we don't know larry we hardly know him at all like so the cheap there's a cheapness to his death right like had it been rain we that would have been super impactful but the message is i don't think there's a disservice done to this message um i think we're seeing that there's not just one issue, any one issue. I mean, certainly the fear of X-Factor and being a mutant weighed heavily on Larry and probably led to the suicide. But, you know, there are other issues going on. He's new school. He's probably got some depression issues. Uh, some something's off about his home life. I don't think he's abused, but I do think his parents are kind of checked out, not very close, very very not, not emotionally available to him. Um... So he's, he's isolating heavily, he, he's, you know, struggling with his identity. I think there's just a lot of issues at play that that are, are leading him towards his decision. And had we had more time to explore those, um, over 50 issues or 45 issues, and he was there from the beginning and we saw this building, yeah, I'm sure that would be super impactful. But again, I don't think it takes away from the story that, you know... I still think this is a powerful story. I still think that, you know, some of the best things I, I know for myself, some of the best things I can do for myself and I think people around me is attempt to treat them with some respect and de- decorum, and treat them the way I'd want to be treated. Be being willing to say, you know, I wouldn't want to be called this thing, or I wouldn't want to be treated this way, and and then reacting as though, you know, offering that same treatment I would would like to receive myself. I I I, I don't. You know, I think overall this is a very successful story. In comparison to the last time Claremont ventured into this with New Mutants, uh when we had uh some sort of an after school special, I think this this is much more uh well rounded, much more uh much st- the conception and the and the the story everything works better here than it did when Hunter Stevie Hunter was being stalked by that uh kid um who Hey guys, I think that one was, which was a stronger fail. This is this is a much stronger issue. I think this one is much clearer. It makes more sense. It it fits and it's it's properly placed. You know, it it fits in its time and place. This story works so well because the X Factor thing is going on at the same time. It's it's just a really well done story, and I and it's a really strong one and done story. You know, considering this in the time constraints, in the link constraints that were that he's working in, I think he's done a masterful job. Um and, and I think, you know, yeah, he's grooming Kitty for something, but I think that's something that should be these characters should be moving forward too. Um because you know there there is a debate, there is a conversation to be had. And and Xavier shouldn't be the one always leading that conversation. Um, So I I think overall it's a strong issue. I think um, it works on multiple fronts. Um, And I think uh, for a young teenage me, this would have hit home remarkably well. It would have made me think of things and maybe uh, recognize signs or think what my actions might have on the people around me. Um, and I and I don't think that that's a bad thing. I do not think that that's a bad thing. I think it's, you know, something like I said earlier. I think that's something that this country, uh, in 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 general, our our country in general needs to really take a hard, long, hard look at, and you know, what what ideals, what morals, what values, what what anything are we upholding, just to say well. You know, I can say what I want, and who cares how it makes someone feel? That's not my problem. And it, in, in it, I guess at the end of the day, it isn't. And if you can sleep with yourself at night, that's fine. But there are consequences to actions. That's my belief 100%. If I treat people poorly, people will think poorly of me. It's pretty simple, pretty simple equation. And if I'm shocked by that equation, you know, then that's too bad for me because I think at the end of the day I would be the one that's losing out. You know, people would make choices on whether they want to be around me or not. Uh, and I don't like causing people harm and damage. Like, that's not the type of person I want to be. So, overall, like I said, I think it's a great, great uh, issue. I think it's a really good story. I think it's a really strong story. And uh, I one of my favorite New mutant stories, honestly. So I'm super glad that I got to talk about it. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's the end of this issue. We will be diving into Bloody Sunday uh, in New Munes 46 next week. So, I'll look forward to that. James Explores the New Munes is, as always, recorded in Des Moines, Iowa, and is produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are published every Wednesday and can be found wherever podcasts are available. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at New Mutants via email at ExploreTheNewMutants at gmail.com. Visual companions to the episodes are available on Facebook and Instagram by searching James Explores The New Mutants. Another great way to reach the podcast is via the Anchor Messenger service. It allows you, the listeners, to record minute-long messages that are sent directly to me i can then place those messages directly into the podcast so it's a really great way for you the listeners to give me feedback ask questions then i can then play directly in our episodes so uh it's it's awesome i really enjoy it and i hope you check it out until next week however keep reading those comics